0: Alrighty, Gordon, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. As we begin our time of Advent, our season of Advent, and our Advent series, as we come together this morning to celebrate the, ad, the hope of Advent which we come together to celebrate this morning. But let me ask you a question. How do you feel about waiting? How do you feel about waiting on something? Do you have good patience? Do you not have good patience? As some of us, I, I feel like you see, there's some people who can wait all day or wait for however long they need to wait for whatever it is that uh, that's going on. But then, the, then there are other people who can't wait for anything. That if you ask them to wait, it's like you're. It's like the one, the worst things that you can ask them to do is to have to wait and be patient for and and perhaps maybe you're not that person perhaps you're not the other person either perhaps you're a little bit like me and you're somewhere in between where there are certain things I can wait for and there are other things I do not want to wait for Uh, for example I love a long drive I love when I'm going on a trip I love a long drive I love going on a long trip um, and, and, and I, going to Savannah it's not a terribly long trip but, it, but I, I'd go to Savannah for the day or for the weekend I love the drive up there but I'm telling you the drive back is at least three hours longer I don't know how that's possible but the drive back back is so much worse than the drive out there. I love the drive out there. I love I love the length of it. I love how long it takes. I love going. I love the trip because I I I just love that sense of of I, I don't know what it is, but I love that. But on the way back, it is so much worse. I don't care which route you take. I don't care which road you're on. It's longer when you come back. I don't care. And perhaps perhaps you experience something similar to that. But for me, uh, traveling back from wherever I have gone is just so much, so much longer. So I'm patient in my life. I'm patient with certain things. And with other things, I have absolutely no patience. But growing up, there was something that I just didn't have any patience for at all, and it was waiting for Christmas morning. As soon as December arrived, my patience began to wane. It, and, it, and it got worse and worse as the month carried on until eventually Christmas Eve arrived. And in my estimation, Christmas Eve is the longest day and night of the whole year. Or at least that's how I felt about it as a child. Then finally, the more Christmas morning came. There was celebration, there was presents, and there were visits from family. And it was a wonderful time. Now, in life, we think we kind of know what it means to be patient. We think we kind of know what it's like to have to wait. But I promise you, from reading the biblical story of the birth of Christ, you're going to see that we, we really don't know what it means to wait. We really don't. And not only that, but as we go through this season of Advent this morning, we're going to understand, or at least we hope to understand, the role that hope, Plays in the seasons in seasons of waiting. So Matthew chapter one verses eighteen through twenty-five. The passage reads: Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And praise God, Solidea gloria, for the reading of his word today. You know, being in church, we uh, we can sometimes take for granted the, some of the biblical stories, some of the stories of of the biblical narrative. And I think the Christmas narrative, the kind of Christmas story is probably chi- the first on the list because many of us were so familiar with the story. We're so familiar with it and when we read the story, even when we're reading it ourselves or, or listening to a pastor give a message on it, we can kind of instinctively kind of put our brains on cruise control because we know the story. We know how the story goes. But here's the reason, here's part of the motivation behind the season of Advent. The season of Advent takes everything and slows it all down. Slows it all down so that our hearts can worship God in every detail of this magnificent, magnificent story. So we're going to go through this a little slowly. Let's try to do that this morning. We'll start by looking at the two figures that this, that this passage introduce us, introduces us to. We'll start with the figure Mary. Mary was from a small city in Galilee, known as Nazareth. And when I say it was small, I mean it was it was significantly small. Its population was roughly around 480 residents. And to put that into perspective there's roughly 4000 residents here in Lyons Georgia. So we look at Lyons Georgia we think oh this is a small uh, small city and it is a small city in comparison to most cities but in comparison to the city of Nazareth we're a little, we're a little bit bigger. But Nazareth was a very very Small and it was not very. It wasn't very populated. Not only that, but the people who made up the city, they, the people were thought of. The city itself, it was thought of as to being this backwater kind of kind of place. It was looked down upon. Uh, the place was thought of as being as being less than. It was. It was not a significant. Place as soon as when it, when it, as soon as someone heard or learned that an individual was was from Nazareth, they automatically looked down upon them, because they were the, because that's just the reputation that the city had. How it uh, got that reputation is, is, uh, uh, there are probably multiple factors in that, but think of it uh, with us. We know that uh, we have certain opinions about certain cities, and that's just kind of how our culture is. Well, it's the same thing in the ancient world with the biblical narrative. Certain cities had certain reputations, and there's probably a reason for some of that reputation, but at the end of the day, not all of the people were criminals or anything of the nature, just as it is the same case when we have a certain opinion about a different city, or whatever the case may be. But right there, in the middle of this insignificant little town, we find a young girl who is roughly anywhere from the ages of 12 to 15. A young girl who, much like her town, isn't particularly special Isn't particularly remarkable or noteworthy in any sort of way. And yet God in his sovereignty chooses her, chooses Mary to be the mother of Jesus. But then again, there there isn't anything particular about anything particularly special about you or anything particularly special about myself either. And yet God in his sovereignty still chooses us to be. So Mary isn't any kind of special person, and she has the same sin problem in her heart as, as I have in my heart and as you have in your heart. Now Mary is betrothed, as verses 18 and 19 tells us, she is betrothed to a man named Joseph. And we actually don't know a lot about Joseph. We, we know that Joseph was a carpenter, and we know that he was of the line of David, but at the end of the day, it wasn't that big of a deal to be of the line of David because here's the thing, David had a lot of kids, and so did Solomon. Solomon. So there were many, many people who could say that they were from the line of David. It wasn't that uncommon for someone to say that they were of the line of David. So Joseph, he isn't particularly special either. But there is a little bit more that we do know about Joseph. We know that he was a godly man. We know that he was a a just man. We know that he was a man that was godly and and, and and cared about certain things. And not only that, not only was he godly, he was a kind man. Just consider how he treats Mary. Joseph and uh, Mary and Joseph at this point in the story are not married to one another. However, they are betrothed. And in the ancient wor- world, a betrothal to be betrothed was a huge, huge deal. It was even more significant than what how we practice marriage today with an engagement where a man proposes to a woman and they are engaged. A, a betrothal was even more significant than that because to be betrothed was an arrangement made by the parents of the man. So the, ma- the groom's parents would organize the marriage of their son and someone else's daughter. The idea was that the marriage was to benefit both families. And so it was arranged marriage, it was arranged marriage, and that the idea was, is that through the marriage, it would produce something better. Profitable or beneficial to both sides of the family. Not only that, but in order to uh, to bring a betrothal into effect, a contract had to be signed. A contract with witnesses who also had to sign the document as well. So at this point, um, they are uh, Mary and Joseph are not married. So they have they have not been with one another in a sexual way, but then one day Joseph comes uh, to Mary and he sees that she is with child. And so Joseph, being a godly man and being a kind man, does not want to put Mary to shame. He doesn't want to publicly humiliate her. He doesn't want to embarrass her. He doesn't want to hurt her in any kind of way. He wants to do the right thing, the respectable thing, and he wants to divorce her quietly because in his mind, Mary has been with someone else. She has been with another man. At least that's what he thinks has happened. But Joseph is about to find out that there is something very, very special about what is happening in in the life of Mary as well as in his own life. Consider verses 20 through 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel appears to Joseph while he's asleep, appears to him in a dream and tells him, you have no reason to be afraid. You have no reason to take her as your wife. You don't need to have a divorce. You don't, need to, you do, you don't have to have any worries about what has happened because she has been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and the child which is in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. We call this the virgin birth. In my reading of the New Testament, there are essentially two, we'll call them bookends, of importance of theological truth about Jesus. On the first end, you have the virgin birth, and on the other end, you have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without these two bookends, everything in between falls apart. If you don't have the virgin birth and if you don't have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what happened in between because what happened in between is not of divine importance because if, it, if you do not see these two truths at work, then what on earth are we doing? But with the virgin birth, we see one of the most foundational and important truths of all New Testament Scripture, that Jesus was born of a woman by the Holy Spirit, not by a man. It is the biblical truth that, 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 that in Him being born of the Holy Spirit, we see that Jesus is truly God. Jesus is God, but He is also truly man. He is the God-man, thus making Him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. For in His humanity, He stands in our place taking the punishment that was meant for me and for you taking my punishment he stands in my place in his humanity but in his divinity he stands blameless he stands innocent he stands perfect and without blame and so when god lay, when the so when the god man lays down his life for us the wrath of god is satisfied for there would be no other way that the wrath of god could be satisfied and all of this is possible because of the virgin birth and because of the virgin birth we have we have the hope of Advent. And not just a small, fickle hope, but a hope which is everlasting. A hope which is never ending. A hope which is never changing before our Savior is perfect. And we need not fear. Now we will talk more about that hope in a moment. But now I just, I just want to spend a few, few moments... Just kind of unpacking some areas of theological confusion that that I've perceived that many people seem to have. There are many many people who seem to have or seem to be of the opinion that the reason that the virgin birth is so important and the virgin birth, birth is incredibly foundational and important. Now there are many people who seem to be of the opinion that the reason that the virgin birth is important is because Joseph was not Jesus's earthly father or his physical, biological father and therefore the sin nature did not pass to him because the idea is that the sin nature passes down from the man or passes down from from the seed of of the man. And because you do not see Joseph as the father, as the biological father of Jesus, the sin nature does not pass down to him, and that is the reason why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Perhaps you have heard that, and perhaps you even think of it in that that way, but that is not the, the exact position that I understand it to be, and I want to explain why that is. First reason is because the Bible just doesn't say that. The Bible does not say that, and nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say that the sin nature is passed down from the seed of man. It does not say that. That is a tradition that has come up in the midst of biblical thinking. But you don't see that actually taking place in the biblical narrative. But instead, what the Bible does say is that sin passed down from Adam. That sin passed down from Adam, that the sin that exists in our world was passed down from the first man, from Adam. For Adam was commanded by God to be in the garden of Eden to take care of the garden and not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But instead of being obedient to God, what does Adam do? He's standing right next to Eve when she's listening to the voice of the serpent whispering in her ear, and when she partook of the fruit of the when she partook of that fruit, he did nothing to stop it. Then it was God who told him You are not to eat of this fruit. But Adam's looking at his wife, watching her take of the fruit, and he does nothing to stop it. And what does he do? He even takes of it himself. resulting factor is that sin enters into the world. Adam failed his job. Adam sinned against God, and so sin has been passed down from generation to generation from Adam sin passes from generation to generation but here's the thing the last time I checked men and women are part of the generations that have come from Adam so what does that mean that means that men are just as sinful as women, and women are just as sinful as men. We all have the same problem. We all have the same messed up heart inside. When, and So when we, when, so that's the first, and really it's the most important reason as why I do not follow that train of thought that, that sin is passed down from men and not from, from women. It's because the Bible just does not say that. The Bible does not de- point, uh, paint that picture for us. Instead, it tells us that sin has been passed down through the generations of Adam, and that means men and women because we are all there. So that's the first reason, and I would say it's the most important reason. And second reason is because that line of thinking is dangerously close to what Roman Catholicism teaches. Rome teaches that Mary was sinless. And so, therefore, because Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, Mary being sinless, she did not have any sin to pass on to Jesus, to pass on to the Savior. And, in, and the resulting factor is that the, Jesus is perfect because Mary had no sin to pass down to him. And in doing so, in, in teaching this, they elevate Mary to a place of veneration that just simply is biblically inappropriate. So in my estimation, this idea of sin being passed down from the men and not from women is too dangerously close to what Rome teaches. But the question remains, if this is not, if the importance of the the virgin birth is not through the absence of the father is not, not so. So it's not that sins passed down from the father. If that's not what the importance of the virgin birth is, what is the importance of the virgin birth? How is Jesus sinless? Well, I want to share with you what the Baptist Confession teaches on this matter, uh, as as as, and we will also be looking at a few passages of Scripture as well. This is chapter 8 of the Baptist Confession of Faith and it is the third paragraph. Chapter 8 of the Baptist Confession and it is the third paragraph. It says, The Lord Jesus in His human nature thus united to the divine is in the person of the Son was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in Him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth he might be th- uh, thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. So what, is the, what that is saying is that, is that the, the point of focus is not on is not on Joseph but the point of focus is on Jesus is on the holy spirit empowering Jesus okay So we see that the reason that Jesus is able to do and is empowered to do and is able to live in the way that He does is because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't just confess this truth because it is what the confession says, but also because it is what the Bible says. Consider Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. It says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him and then finally hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 how much more will the blood of christ who through the spirit offered himself without blemish to god to purify our consciousness from dead works to serve the living So you see time and time and time again the Bible points to the the reason of the significance of the virgin birth, of Jesus being sinless, of Jesus performing miracles, of Jesus being worthy of laying down His life for us upon the cross is not because of the absence of a biological father but it is through the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's because of the Spirit of God. It's because that Jesus is born in a way that no one else has been born. He was born through the Holy Spirit, by of, but through a through a virgin. Now, I know that that uh, that theologically that's a lot and that's a lot to take in, but it's important for us to understand this and it's important for us to know this because if we kind of start thinking of it in a different way, we're in danger of going in a direction that just is simply not biblical and we want to be biblical in the way that we think of these things. So Jesus is sinless. He is born of a virgin and the reason for that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Know that, and grow in your understanding of it. Verses twenty two and twenty three. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with. Us And now we come to the promise of Emmanuel which we started our service with. The promise of God being with us. It's important to understand that while the, the specific promise of Emmanuel is indeed given in the book of Isaiah, that is far from the first time that Jesus is promised in the Old Testament. Think all the way back to the Garden of Eden A place where humanity and God dwelt in harmony, but then sin entered in and we could no longer be with God. We were separated from Him, and so God promised in the third chapter of Genesis... That after sin entered into the world, that He will send one who is of the seed of the woman, and He shall crush the serpent's head. In the third chapter of Genesis, the promise of the Messiah is given. I love this story. Because what does that mean? It means the devil lost this battle in the third chapter of Genesis. Do you know how many years it's been since Genesis? The battle's already won. Then what, what happens next? We are introduced to Abraham, the man whom God chose to make a covenant with, and he tells him that all the nations of the world shall be blessed through his descendants, that from his descendants there shall come one who is unlike any other. And then we meet David and God says to David I shall make a covenant with you and I shall give to one of your descendants a throne whose kingdom shall never end. And then finally as we've already looked at Isaiah proclaims that this promised one shall be born of a virgin and his name shall be Emmanuel. What we see in Matthew chapter 1 is the fulfillment of that promise that dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. We see the fulfillment. We see the birth of the Messiah. All of creation patiently waited for the birth of the Messiah. For His coming they did not wait in in without hope they did not creation did not wait thinking that maybe it's not going to happen no creation waited with a hopeful expectation upon the promise of god and now we as we gather here this morning worshipfully say that we have a hope as well that our, there is a day coming where we will be united with our God, where we will be united with the Savior, a day when Christ shall return to claim His church and reclaim all of creation. This season of Advent, be reminded of the hope that you have in Christ, a hope that is never changing, never ending, is not fickle and does not go away. It is an eternal hope because it is a hope that is based upon God, and God is always faithful to keep His promises. The hope of Advent, that is what we celebrate this morning. And so the hope of Advent is a hope which we have in our hearts right now, and I ask you this morning, do you know that hope? Is that hope in your heart and in your life right now? Do you have the hope of Christ in your Savior? If the the answer is no, then come this morning. Come this morning. Talk to me. Talk to one of our deacons. We want to share Christ. We want to see the name of Christ proclaimed. If you don't have that hope, may today be the day of salvation. And may today be the day that you receive Christ as your Savior. And know what true hope is. We will pray. And we will have our time of invitation this morning. Father, we pray thanksgiving for this day and all of your many blessings, Lord. And Lord, we want to praise you for the miraculous gift of hope which which you have given us. The gift of hope that doesn't fade. The gift of hope that does not go away. The gift of hope that is not overcome by the troubles and the trials and the difficulties and the temptations of this life. This hope, there is nothing that can put out the flame of this hope that is burning in our hearts. For you have given us this hope. You have given us the promise of the Messiah. And you fulfilled your promise all those years ago in the story of... Of Matthew chapter 1 and today Lord because of that hope we have the gift of salvation and Lord we also look forward to the gift of your return when we shall be united with you and oh what a day glorious day that will be when our Jesus we shall see so Lord by the power of your Holy Spirit Tune our hearts to sing Thy praise. Work in our hearts so that this hope, the flame of this hope, may grow all the brighter so that it never goes out. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.